Hello, I'm Darrell Bloodworth. This is Lesson 2 in our study of the Gospel of John. Remember, John's purpose in writing his Gospel was to convince the reader that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, and that through faith in Him, we can have life. Certain heresies had grown up in the church that would distract the new Christian about who Jesus really was, and John sets out immediately to refute those heresies. There's far more to these verses than refuting heresies, but John both refutes heresies and describes the glory of the nature and ministry of Jesus in words that are simply unsurpassed in all of literature. Let's begin with the first five verses of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. One heresy which is with us even till this day was that Jesus, although a great teacher and a worker of miracles, was not divine, but only a man, somewhat like Moses. After all, Moses was called the lawgiver, the person through whom God gave the law to Israel. John immediately declares the idea that Jesus was only a man to be false. He begins in the beginning, the same way Genesis begins, and he declares that the Word, the Logos of God, was already there in the beginning, which the beginning, of course, refers to the beginning of our universe. Not only was the Word there, everything that came into being did so through him. And what came into being through him was not just the created things we see, but life itself. And the life of Jesus was the light of all mankind. In other words, John is saying that what God intended through creation can only be understood through the life of Jesus. Without him, there's only darkness. But the life of Jesus has overcome that darkness. So in a few sentences, John has struck a dagger in the notion that Jesus was only a man, perhaps a great man, but nothing more. John says the word was not only with God, he was God, what we now refer to as the second person of the Trinity. Let's continue on with verses 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. In these verses, John turns immediately to a second heresy, namely that John the Baptist was the Messiah for whom Israel had been waiting. We get a hint of this in Acts chapter 19, where Paul is in Ephesus, and encounter some disciples who had never heard of the Holy Spirit. They had been baptized in the baptism of John the Baptist for repentance. 
Many people don't realize this, but there is to this day a small sect that worships John the Baptist as the Messiah. They are called the Mandaeans. Well, John quickly torpedoes the idea of the Baptist being the Messiah. He identifies the Baptist as being a witness to who Jesus was. And a few verses further along, he has John directly deny that he is the Messiah. Jesus is the true light, and the Baptist is a chosen witness to that light. In verse 10, we see the first mention of a theme that we'll see throughout this gospel. Jesus was repeatedly misunderstood. He created the world, but the world didn't recognize him. Even his own, referring to the Jews, didn't recognize him. But to those who did receive him, they were born into a new life, a spiritual life, by the power of God. Let's continue on now with verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart who has made him known. In these verses, John shoots down a third heresy, Gnosticism. Remember, the Gnostics asserted that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He just appeared to. He was really only spirit. That was consistent with their belief that what went on in the flesh wasn't important. Only the spirit mattered. Thus, one could live a life of debauchery in the flesh and still maintain a life pleasing to God if one was spiritually enlightened. There's more to Gnosticism than this, but you get the picture. God, they contended, wasn't concerned about what went on in the flesh. In one short sentence, John destroys the foundation of Gnosticism by saying, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. As an aside, John whispers to us that the Baptist recognized Jesus as the one who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. He also says, as an aside, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus and him alone who has made God fully known. Let's continue on now with verses 19 through 28. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you were neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know. 
the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. What John has written to this point has been a prologue highlighting what he's going to show us about Jesus in his gospel. But in verse 19, he begins his narrative of the ministry of Jesus. But he begins the narrative with the appearance of an investigative committee consisting of priests, Levites, and Pharisees. The Baptists had created such an upheaval among the people that the Jewish leaders formed a committee to go investigate him. One reason they were curious about John is that he was the son of a priest, Zechariah. And you can see reference to that in the first chapter of Luke. This made John a priest also because a son of a priest would, would be a priest. But he wasn't acting like any priest the Jewish leaders were familiar with. So they come to John the Baptist and they ask him, Who are you? What they were really asking was, Are you the Messiah? You can almost hear a sigh of relief when John says no, because the appearance of a Messiah who would try to kick out the Romans would have brought an immediate brutal response from Rome, thereby throwing out the existing Jewish leadership who had a cushy relationship with the Romans. So then they ask, are you Elijah? This is a reference to Malachi chapter 4, which says that Elijah would appear before the coming of the Messiah. Well, John humbly denies this, even though Jesus later identifies John as Elijah in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. So the next question they ask, are you the prophet? Well, this is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18, in which Moses says that in the future God will send a prophet like himself to Israel to declare what God has spoken. And again, John denies being the prophet. So they then ask, and I paraphrase, then who in the world are you? We have to take back a report to our leaders. Who do you say you are? Well, John responds by quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Well, at this point, the Pharisees that are among the investigative committee are puzzled, and they speak up. Well, if you're none of these, why are you baptizing? Remember that the Pharisees were a sect that were concerned primarily with ritual purity. They believed that only Gentiles converting, converting to Judaism required baptism. They didn't believe the Jews need baptism because they were already the people of God. So why was John baptizing? John deflects in response to this question, saying he only baptizes with water, but one coming after him will baptize with the Holy Spirit. As we shall see, the appearance of Jesus occurs the very next day. And we pick up now with verses 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing him with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, 
But the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So, this we pick up the very next day. John sees Jesus and identifies him publicly for the first time as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The term Lamb of God is, is one the Jews were familiar with, although they didn't fully understand it uh, as God intended. Remember, there was the Passover Lamb referred to in the 12th chapter of Exodus, offered in sacrifice. Isaiah had said that the Messiah would be led like a lamb to the slaughter in Isaiah chapter 53. The Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God to represent the fact God himself will provide a sacrifice, just as God did for Abraham in the 22nd chapter of Genesis. But this time it will be God's only son that becomes the sacrifice. In verse 31, John says he didn't know Jesus. What he means by this is that he didn't know that Jesus was the Lamb of God until that was revealed to him during Jesus' baptism. Remember, John was a cousin of Jesus. And Luke tells us John leaped in his mother's womb when he heard the greeting of Mary visiting Elizabeth. But he didn't yet know fully who Jesus was or what Jesus' role would be. God had revealed to John how to identify the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. God told him he would see the Spirit descend like a dove and rest on that person. Now, it's not clear exactly when the baptism of Jesus took place. Given Matthew's account of Jesus going into the wilderness to be attempted immediately after his baptism, those events had probably occurred weeks earlier. John's now remembering what happened during Jesus' baptism when he sees Jesus again and makes his public declaration of Jesus being the Lamb of God. God had revealed to him that he would, send the, uh, he would see the Spirit descend like a dove on the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And the Baptist is now announcing publicly that Jesus is that person. Let's pick up now with verses 35 through 42. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of uh, John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So the story is picking up again the very next day. John is standing with two of his disciples and Jesus walks by. As he did before, John exclaims, Here is the Lamb of God, whereupon the two disciples take off following Jesus. 
Now, one of them is identified as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The other isn't identified, but it's reasonable to assume it was the author, John. After all, we know Andrew, Peter, James, and John were all in the fishing business together, and we are being given an eyewitness report. Jesus turns and asks them a question all of us sooner or later must respond to from Jesus. What are you looking for? Given that they were disciples of the Baptists, we have to assume they were looking for the redemption of Israel and the coming of the Messiah. But all they could come up with is, Rabbi, where are you staying? John helpfully explains that Rabbi means teacher. And and Jesus, perhaps with a nod and a smile, says, come and see. They were curious, and Jesus was inviting them to come satisfy their curiosity. Providing witness detail again, John writes that this encounter occurred about 4 p.m. We aren't told what they discussed that day, but by the following day, Andrew goes to find his brother Simon and tells him, We have found the Messiah. Keep in mind that although almost all in Israel believed in a coming Messiah, at this point there were many different ideas about just what the Messiah would be. Most didn't understand that the Messiah would literally be the Son of God. They were thinking more of a military leader appointed by God that would throw out the Romans. But whatever Simon may have thought about the Messiah, he follows his brother Andrew to meet Jesus. Jesus looks at him for a long moment before saying to him, You are Simon, but you will be called Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic word which is translated in Greek as Peter, and which means rock. Giving Simon a new name is a foreshadowing of the day to come when Jesus will ask his disciples, Who do you say I am? And Peter will respond with, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whereupon Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, for on this rock, the faith exemplified by Peter, will I build my church. Let's continue on now with verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. John is continuing his chronological account on the following day. Jesus has decided to return to Galilee. Uh, Remember, Nazareth was in uh, Galilee. He was where the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River east of Jerusalem and just north of the Dead Sea. 
Galilee's well north of there. John tells us that Jesus found Philip, which means he must have been looking for him, and said, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, also in Galilee, where Andrew and Peter were also from. So they probably already knew each other before this time. Philip, in, then, uh, in turn, then tells his friend Nathaniel, We have found him about whom Moses wrote, a prophet like me, and also whom the prophets wrote about. At this point, Nathaniel's probably pretty excited. But then Philip adds, Jesus of Nazareth. When he hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, Nathaniel is clearly unimpressed. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip's response is probably with a smile, and he says, come and see. The story of Jesus encountering Nathanael is beautifully told in the video series, The Chosen. We don't know for sure this is exactly what happened, because Scripture doesn't give all the details. But The Chosen portrays Nathanael at a low point in his life. He's alone, under a fig tree, with no one else around. He's discouraged personally. He's also discouraged for Israel. And he is despairing that the Messiah has not yet come to relieve Israel from his misery. He begins to wonder if God is even listening to him. And he lays all of this out to God in prayer. We don't know if this happened a day or two before Nathaniel meets Jesus or even earlier. But Nathaniel's puzzle when Jesus greets him with, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel responds, Where did you get to know me? Jesus just looks directly at Nathaniel and softly says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Well, Nathaniel is mystified, then stunned. No one could know what he poured out to God in prayer under the fig tree except God alone. There was no one else there. In an explosion of faith, Nathaniel responds, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I see Jesus responding with a smile, saying, Do you believe because I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than these. In an instant, Nathaniel has found hope. You know, we would do well to remember when life has brought us a tragedy or a difficult time or a loss that has sucked all of the joy of life out of us that we can sit under the fig tree or go to our prayer closet and pour out our hearts to the Lord. Just as he heard Nathaniel, he will hear us. He will respond to us. And he will assure us that better days lie ahead if we put our faith in him. Next week, we will pick up Lesson 3, Chapter 2 of the Gospel of John.